0: We're standing here in the kitchen of one of our very good restaurants in San Francisco. In a few hours, this kitchen, it's gonna hustle and bustle, almost as if it's alive, to serve those who will visit for what they hope is an amazing food and service experience. Restaurants are kind of like our lives. They come on the scene, they thrive, they do their best to stay that way as long as they can, and then one day, well, they close, they die. In the meantime, though, They must daily respond to the needs and changes thrust upon them, kind of like our lives. So our life app this week, to stay with the restaurant theme, is called the RSVP app. Let's start with R. R is for reductions. In cooking, reduction is the process of intensifying the flavor of a liquid by simmering or boiling stock or sauce until the desired volume is reached with a goal. That goal is to drive away as much as can be removed by evaporation. Imagine though, that we brought the science of reduction to our lives using God's will and God's direction to put the heat on us with the goal of removing all of the unnecessary things in our lives so that our intensity and our flavorfulness for him would be greater. How different would be the hours that we spend or where our energies are directed or how and where we invest our resources A little focus on reduction could help us remove some of those unhealthy life stuff that actually just needs to be boiled away. S, S is for service. Now look, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, just go sit in a room and study God's word and talk among yourselves. He called them to serve him and to go out and spread the good news. He calls us to serve as part of being his followers. You see, when we serve others, it means someone else is counting on us. And when someone is counting on us, We do all that we can not to let them down. And we will change our schedules, our lifestyles, and our priorities so that we can fulfill that service. Feeling down, feeling not motivated, feeling unnecessary. Just find some place to serve and you'll see a difference. V, V is for velocity. Yep, we have to be sure that we aren't hurtling through life at such a breakneck speed that when we fall, which we will all do, It's not one of those epic GoPro moment wipeouts. We can reduce our velocity, and some of the best ways to do so are the principles that Jesus modeled for us. Daily prayer time, daily time in his word, specified time with others to discuss our lives and God's will for us, dedicated time to worship. You see, when we do these things, we're not only slowing down ourselves, but we're replacing some of those other things of life that might be sucking life from us with activities that are guaranteed to be life-giving. And finally, we have P for Purpose. You see, it's ultimately our purpose that keeps us going, keeps the drive alive in us, and can carry us from day to day through what can be an amazing life. Look, I can tell you that on more than one occasion in my career, I've ended a day wondering if any of it was all worth it, other than I tried to bring glory to God all day long by how I conducted myself what I said and how I treated others. I write a blog every Monday through Friday that reduces down our purpose in the workplace to a challenge. That challenge is to bring glory to God in all that we do. So that even if our lives are cut short or we're fortunate enough to die young at a ripe old age, we've done the best that we can with what we've been given. So, let's not wait. RSVP today, to the invitation that God is giving us, to sit with him at his very open table.
1: So it's great to see everyone, and uh, I'm so glad you're here, and that uh, we get to share together. You know, we're in this uh, Life App series, and Rusty is. If you haven't had a chance to be here in the past few weeks, there's a little bio about who Rusty is. He's sharing the presentation and on this project, this Life Apps project, and. He's been a a great contributor and sort of we've been working together to try to create these different applications of our faith into real life. And this particular one this uh, this seventh application as he alluded to, it has a lot to do with how we can think about staying healthy. We're not just talking about our bodies, we're talking about our minds, we're talking about our spirit, we're talking about our emotions. What we're really going to be contending for and hopefully be strengthened to move towards is how do we in a kind of very challenging environment, you know, this urban environment of ours, this amazing city, has so much complexity attached to it. It's a uh, highly kinetic, um, and it really does make us have to think about how are we going to stay healthy? How are we going to stay in a good place? How are we going to stay spiritually attuned, aligned? I want to talk about that. Uh, the goal is to give all of us the capacity to sustain ourselves for the long haul so that it shows up in our ability to negotiate some of the challenging places in life and also affects our relationships and how we work through stuff in our own lives. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this together. And so, Lord, I thank you again because of your amazing grace for us. And I, you know, okay, everyone who's here, you know, Lord made a decision to be here, and there was a choice that was made. For whatever the reason, I have to assume you're in it. And I believe you are. And I believe that you care deeply about our lives. I know you you do, actually. And I believe that you know our lives better than we know our own selves. And I ask that you would just give us faith, even if it's just a little bit of faith. The faith of the size of a mustard seed can do amazing things. And so, Lord, help us to not be so focused or distracted. It's so easy to do. But to try to carve out this space just to be present with you as best as we can to have a, a listening, understanding ear. So we might not only digest Good information, but we might, might also be able to put it through the prism of our own heart and then be listening for your words for us because maybe there are things you want to underscore that are exactly what we need to be thinking about as we move into the rest of the week. So wherever we are in this life, whatever the pressures we're under, whatever our, our goals, our dreams, also the, the type of things that we're having to deal with at work, um, our career, the challenges of our lives, you know them all. And I just ask that you would help us be better equipped really to prevail. I do that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, God. So with that in mind, you know, I, I was thinking about something that occurred because um, when it comes to this whole idea of, of sustained focus, because I think even I mean, even the the best of us know that if even if we're doing things we love and enjoy, if we do it for too long a period of time, it's hard. It's hard um, not to get worn down. And then again, as I prayed earlier here. I can only imagine that some of us are under unique pressure. I don't know all of us are. Some of us are doing fine and we might feel like, ah, I'm doing, I'm I'm holding up. Others of us may have come in here feeling an enormous amount of pressure. Again, it could be something connected to our jobs. It could have to do with something that's going on in our personal life. It could have something to do in our relational life. Some of this stuff that's going on in the home or in our own heart is, I mean, they're all intertwined and it's, it can be hard. And even good things sustained over a long period of time make it difficult to stay focused and in a good place. And I was thinking about this because I about sustained focus and and uh, I was reminded of my grandfather and and uh, he was an amazing example of someone who sustained focus. And I, you know, some of you may know, this, some of you may not, but I, I began actually pastoring here as a youth pastor. I had grown up in the church. It was a very small church at the time. My grandfather actually, who would become my mentor and, and uh, he was like a father to me, especially after me my mom and dad got divorced it was it was really hard and i didn't really have a father figure and i and he really stepped into that role wasn't a, a wonderful example in his 70s late 60s and 70s for me of a man of genuine faith authentic very authentic and he was the real deal flaws and all and uh i i respected him greatly and i remember As you know just the kind of man he was he came from that generation and I know some of us now only hear tales about it but that greatest generation they that World War Two generation they really understood suffering and they they learned how to prevail they almost had to They, they were birthed in a depression people had to adapt to having little they had to work hard and then of course the war itself which defined an entire generation. And I say all that because he came out of that. And he and a couple other families um, had a vision, a dream, to try to start a little church and be part of a witness for Jesus here in San Francisco. And they did it. They did it in a home. Eventually, um, they got into the church and, and you know, um, what I remember about him was his faithfulness to, to this work. He never actually really had a chance to, to see the, the church really grow too much. Uh, Part of that was because he was working full time as a pastor, and he was also full, working a full time job. He, the church wasn't large enough to support him, so he was bivocational. And I remember that growing up because I, when I was a boy, I remember what he did. And he he drove a muni bus here in San Francisco, and uh, that was my that was my first memories of my grandfather. Besides him preaching, uh, was that he he drove a bus, and I was always. For me, see, in those days, they had a different way of collecting. You could, you, I don't know how to describe it, except it was when I was a boy, I, I really gained some cachet with my friends by saying to them, if you say this secret word that I've arranged with my grandfather, you can get onto that bus for free, right? <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I, so I have these memories of him, and uh, I remember the example he said, and I was about, uh, I was about 22, 23, 21, 21, 22. When I, am only giving this little personal piece here. When I started actually preaching up here, it was in my early 20s, and, and I remember how scary it was. Uh, you know, that's a long time ago, and uh, I I remember how long it would take for me to get ready. We only had one service, and and to be able to share on a Sunday, that was a big deal, and I felt very intimidated by it. And and I would it would take me all my spare time, whether I was a student or when I was working, just to focus and get ready for it. Well, anyway, during one week I was scheduled to go, and uh, I, I was ready, I was preparing, and then I started to get sick, and I got progressively sick towards the, the weekend, and by Saturday, I was really sick. I mean, I, had a, I not only had a, a you know, sore throat, a headache, uh, I was feeling weak and miserable, you know how that is, and I was in bed, and then finally by Sunday morning, when Sunday morning comes, I go, I can't do this. There's no way. I can't go up and, and, and share the way I am right now. I, I don't even know. I, I, so I called him up, and I said, hey, Gramps. That's what I called him. I said, hey, Gramps. I said, you know what? I, I'm so sick. I'm sick as I, 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 I know. I'm, I'm so sorry, but I, I, can't, I, can't pre- I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. And to this day, I remember his response to me, OK? And I remember, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I have this phone. It's not a cell phone. They didn't they have those back then, right? It was, they didn't exist. But I had this phone, and I go, so I, I, I'm really sorry, but I, I just I can't do it. I can't make it. And he says to me, he, had, he says, can you walk? I said, can I walk? I said, well, let me, let me see, right? So I, I got up. I said, yeah, I, I can walk. He goes, good. And I'll see you in a little bit. Bing. That was it. And I did, right? I have no memory of that moment beyond that. But I'll tell you what I do remember was, can you walk? And I have never forgotten it in my entire life. Now, part of his ethic, as is the case with any of the people who, who honestly they've mentored us in some way, part of their ethic begins to slip into who you are. People you have admired and have been affected by, usually they're older than us, um, not always. But part of who they are it finds its way into our own selves. In, and you know, part of who he is at some level is in me. And I remember, because it wasn't too long after that, where he was with, uh, in his mid-70s, uh, just turned 25, and, and, he, and he died. And uh, I was, he was gone. And I, I was on my own. And, and all I had known was kind of the ethic he modeled. But as the years went by, and again, as a young man in my 20s, I, I had only seen what I had seen, and I'd seen someone who showed how to persevere, in ama- and who was super committed, and who honestly preached the same exact way, whether it was two people or 200 people. I, it was amazed, amazed to me. Um, but what I realized was, if I was at, as the years started going by, what I started to realize was, if I didn't start paying attention to limitations, the need for healthy rest and rhythm. That over time, I wasn't going to make it. I was going to ultimately burn out. That that ethic needed to be tempered with the principles of God. And that the principles of God talk a whole lot about the need for healthy replenishment, not unhealthy replenishment. Because I get this. A lot of us are so worn down. And we mentioned this last week. We're so worn down that honestly, when we do get time, one of the real things we have to watch out for, because we do it, is we pull the plug, but we pull the plug, plug in unhealthy ways. And I think we understand this. Tired people make mistakes. Very tired people make big mistakes. And God cares about that because the mistakes we make, not only do they affect us, they affect the people we love. So this, is, this issue that we're talking about here in the few minutes that we're sharing, this actually matters a lot. Because God has so much to teach us about how to keep a life pace and a rhythm that is, allows us to be sustainable in terms of our faith and it allows us to have a sustainable capacity in terms of the rigors of life and the intensity of things that will be shot our way, whether it's in our personal lives or in our work lives. God wants to teach us how to prevail. One of his principles is what we're exploring in this app. It has to do with something that is embedded way back in the Older Testament. And some of us might go, well, what does the Older Testament and even what we're going to look at here, the law of Moses, have to teach us about this principle? We live in modern times. How could that have, how could that really have any relevancy for what we go through? I want to suggest that it actually does. Um, one of the things that we know is that there is a great amount of wisdom in the law of Moses, the less the Old Testament The centerpiece of which is are the Ten Commandments. So the core of the law of Moses was the Ten Commandments. That's not the movie. I'm talking about the real Ten Commandments, right? And they were given by God for our benefit. Now, one of the things that we forget is that Israel. And again, I want to just set the table here. Imagine this: Israel has been enslaved. The children of Israel, as they are called, have been enslaved for basically four centuries. 400 years. Right around that. over that time it started with them finding themselves helped when Joseph brought the young the young families to Egypt in a famine. You read this in the book of Genesis, but eventually what happens is a pharaoh and Joseph became a high official in Egypt. And God blessed them as just a small little tribe, really community people. But they grew. But what happens is the Bible says as they started growing and flourishing in Egypt, a pharaoh rose up who did not know Joseph, had no memory of him, and eventually the Israel, the Israel, the people of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, Israel, Abraham, Isaac, they became enslaved, and they, and that, and for generations, that's all they knew, until God raised up a man, Moses. And Moses was used by God to deliver them out of Egypt. He says he broke Pharaoh with a mighty hand. And eventually God broke them out. Now here's the thing. When they get out of Egypt, they come with a context. They've had no, they've never, they've never known anything in terms of their own capacity to self-govern. They've had no national identity. They have nothing, they're coming out. Look, they come out with only what they've known. And in many ways, I'll just say this. They come out of Egypt highly dysfunctional. That's why when you read the, the book of Numbers and Exodus, you'll see what are they, what are they doing? They're being, God wants to bless them. They're just having such a hard time working with Him. They've got all this stuff in them. And God's trying to work it out of them. And Moses is trying to work it out of them. Here's the thing they had got out of Egypt, but it could be said that God had a really hard time getting Egypt out of them. And that's tr- that can happen to us, you know. We can get out of something, but that something is, God's having a hard time getting it out of us. And that's part of our liberation. And one of the things we contend for is to live truly free in Christ. We can be free and bound, right, to some degree. Israel was out of Egypt, but they had a captive's mentality. And so God's trying to work with them. And what he does, He gives them something. You know what he gives them? He gives them the the law of Moses. And that that you go. Why is that? Because they had no sense of how to be a people. So all of a sudden, God, in his mercy, says, I want to give you what essentially amounts to a constitution, a way to know who you are and who I am. I want to give you a way to understand your social life, your your, you know, spiritual life. Your, your everyday life that you're living, your commerce, your business. I want you to understand who you are. I want to give you a national identity. And he gives them this law. Now, the center of which, again, is the core of which is the Ten Commandments. Now, if you look at the commands, the first three are interesting because they all have to do with something that God says is really important. Of course, someone's going to say, well, man, don't they all say, like, thou shalt not? Isn't that isn't it just kind of a negative thing? Yes. But listen, But they are in the sense of what they're telling us not to do. But listen to what God starts out by saying. He says, look, the first one is, he says, I, I, don't, want thou, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. Start with that. You are mine and I am yours. We are in relationship together. Don't have anybody else intrude in that. I, give you a spe- I have a special relationship with you. So don't bring anybody else don't, don't start going down a path that leads us apart. No other gods. Secondly, he says, and you know what? Don't create graven images. Don't carve out images with your own hands out of stone or wood and then set them on a table like you see, saw in Egypt, no matter how pretty they were, and then you start worshiping what you yourself created. Don't ever think that anything that you can create with your own hands can somehow capture who I am. I, don't do that, he says. I want you to know me for who I am, not as some something that you're trying to somehow capture, venerate, create yourself, and then worship as if it's me. Don't do that. Thirdly, he says, and also when it comes to my name, do not use my name in ways that are degrading. Honor my name. Speak, speak of me as, as if, it, if it means something to you. Don't take the name of your Lord God in vain. What is he saying is, the way we speak about something affects how we feel about them. If I say to people in my life, I love you, That enhances my love. I say this all the time to our church. I do, because I say for myself, too. How we refer to something verbally amplifies what it is to us. The power of our words to shape our own heart is significant. That's why the Bible constantly reminds us to not just be haphazard with our words. And why is it that we allow our intimacy sometimes, the people we love the most, to somehow give us the greatest freedom to be able to be loose with our words? Sometimes we would say something to people we love and have intimate relationship with, or who are close to. We would say things that we would never say to someone who we just was an associate of ours. Because that would be discourteous or insulting. We wouldn't do that. But somehow we have free access to do that to one another when we're angry. That's not the Lord's way. So God says to his people, don't watch how you talk about me. Honor my name. Speak of it well. And it will change who you are. What we worship, we become like. And then, so those are the first ones. Do not make other gods. Do not create a god do not use my name poorly. And then he, but then he, then all of a sudden, he flips into a positive. It's, it stands out. It's the fourth one. And it has direct bearing on what we've been talking about here. Because you know what he says? Oh, I want you to, now a positive. Remember, we'll put this up, the Sabbath and keep it holy. So he makes the point of reminding them to honor the Sabbath. And that's a very important piece here, Right? The idea that somehow he wants them to be aware of this. And then we're talking about there is we're talking about something that God sets up for their well-being. And I think about that and a lot of times I look, look at this. Um, when he puts that up there and gives them that command, right, it's designed to help them, not to hinder them in any way. Look at, look at this um, piece of scripture in Deuteronomy 10. Look what it says here. And I put this in your handout. It says, and now... Israel, look, I want you to look at these words. It says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Now, this is at the end of Moses' life, okay? Just watch what he does. He says, He says this, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Now again, this is the only leader they've ever known. He's getting ready to leave. He's giving them some final words. And he says, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear, that is to deeply respect and reverence, the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and to keep his commandments of the Lord. Look at that. There's the platform and his statues, which I command you for your good. Do you notice that last phrase for your good? It was for their good. God cared about them. And that's so huge because he wanted them with that fourth command to observe the Sabbath and keep it Holy. That was important for him, for them to be aware of. Because what he was basically saying was, I want you to learn how to be different than what you've been. I want you to be a people who learn how to not just work in a way that is different than what you've known. Because remember, all they knew up until that point was oppressive work. It would have been a big enough leap for them to know how to work in a standpoint of free work, to be liberated, a liberated worker who had choices. That would have been a legitimate goal. But God takes it further than that. He does something, I don't know if we can think about what he does, but he basically says, look, I don't want you to ever be, as much as I want you to work, and it presupposes work, that's good and life-giving. He says, but I don't want you ever to be defined only by your work. I want you to be defined by your relationship with me. And then out of that, the Lord says, then I want to do one more thing that was utterly radical, and I hope we see it. He says, not only do I want you to learn that you are more than just a worker, even though all you, so the one goal was you're going to know how to work well in a way that you've never worked before. That's a good enough goal, but that's not my main goal. My main goal is that you learn how to, how to remind yourself that you're more than a worker. You were created to know me. And then on top of that, he says, and I give you a command And that command is to incorporate rest one day a week into your schedule. I am commanding you to pull away from your work so that you are not defined by it. You are to be defined out of your relationship with me. I want you to have a time where you are resting, you are replenishing, you are thinking about me. You are cultivating that relationship with me. If you think about this, it goes all the way back to what God himself did in the book of Genesis. Look at this. Look at this piece there. What it says is Genesis, in Genesis 1, it says, Then God himself looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And, every, and the evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. But watch how this is embedded in, creative, in the creative account. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day. And you know what he did? He declared it holy, set apart, unique, because it was the day when he rested from all his work in creation, now God doesn't rest because he's tired. <laughs> God doesn't get tired. You know why he rested? Why do you think he rested? Because he rested, and he sets the table for us to have that in our lives. He rested because he wanted to honor what he had done. He pulled. Now we need rest because we're finite beings, but God models something for us. It's like it's. He pulls himself away and he looks at his creation and he. He models this, and he looks at it, and he assesses it, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's vast, it's beautiful, it's good. Not unlike an artist who, after she creates a painting and has rendered it, is looking at it, finishes it, and then she pulls back, and she looks at it. This is good, it's good. That same principle of being able to pull back, realign. God, God models it for us. Oh, and you know what else? When God comes to us and models for us as the Son of God, how humanity works best, watch what Jesus does. Luke 4 will put this up. Look at the example of Jesus. Right, it's reminding us that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. It says, "So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was don't run past that, as was his custom, his habit, his way, the Jesus way. He went to the synagogue. He went to church on the Lord's day. That's important. And then he stood up to read. Read what the scriptures. He engages the scriptures. Jesus models for us." the best rhythm of God. What he's doing is he's showing us how to live our life in a way that is going to ultimately have the most healthy. It's interesting because later on, the church, the believers in Jesus, who are all Jewish, after the Lord's resurrection, they will change the Sabbath from celebrating on Saturday to what is sometimes called the Christian Sabbath. They'll celebrate it on the first day of the week to to acknowledge the new beginning that is in Christ. And from that that time forward, there's always been a dedicated day that followers of Jesus have given to really this big rock part of their lives. And the more consistent we are with that rhythm, the more we follow not only in the way of God, not only in the way that God established it for his people Israel in the Old Testament, but also the life that Jesus himself models. So it is the a great reminder for us of how God views the best way to live our lives in terms of its rhythm and what we place an emphasis on. Now, Say, I have a couple of things I just want to connect to in the time that we have left. I'm going to put, one of them I'm going to put up, it seems pretty obvious, but I want to to talk about it because I have a different angle I want to take. One of these is we all need rest and to be replenished. God, again, knows how we function. And I'm talking about, again, I hope you understand this, in healthy ways. I can't, I need to keep saying this. Because we live in a, in a, um, I don't say this is outside of culture. I say it as one engaged as part of our world. But we live in a toxic culture. It has amazing access, but it's got amazingly dangerous places too. And if all we have are inroads of toxicity and nothing that allows us to get rid of it, there's no, put this way, if all we have is stuff coming in that's not great and we're not having a lot of healing things coming in as well. To neutralize that, we're going we're gonna to have a hard time sustaining and staying healthy in our soul. And that's going to show up in other places. I'm telling you, it will. And This is why the Lord is not just giving us stuff. To, oh, it's just like, oh, he's just giving us command. No, he's doing this for a reason. He's telling us, this is how you live the well-lived life. And this is how you sustain your life with me. You need to incorporate intentional times of rest and replenishment, healthy rest, not not unhealthy stuff that ultimately damages us and sometimes even sets us back. I mean, there are times where sometimes we'll come out of something. We've been so tired, we do something. And by the time we're done doing it, we're actually worse off than when we went in. Because we, we we allowed ourselves to just get stuck in junk. So I'm not railing. I'm just saying that's the reality. So what are we going to do? Okay, I'll give you an example. You'll notice there's one little verse that's left in this handout. You know where it's from? Psalm 78. You know what it's referring to? Initially, you look at it, you go, what is it even talking about? It says, but, speaking about Israel, God's people, they turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers, and they turned aside like a deceitful bow. It's talking about a bow that you bend that has the string that you shoot an arrow with, right? That bow. He's saying what ended up happening is, God had a plan for his people. He says what happened is they they became like a deceitful or or treacherous bow. bow, That that is, instead of staying healthy, they started to become like a bow that when it shot something, it was crooked, it was off, and they couldn't hit the mark that they were called to, to hit. The purpose that I designed them for, they were no longer able to do it, he says. They turned away from me, and now they're like a bow that doesn't shoot straight. And so when God's talking about that, you know, one of this interesting things, now in those days, they didn't have like what we have, fiberglass, you know, high-tech, high you know, bow, bows. They were made out of wood. And that wood, it would, be, it would be strung, taut. And that's what allowed it to have the power. But here's the deal. If that bow was not unstrung, it would warp it. And I hope we can see the analogy We need to be able to unstring the bow. If we do not, what will happen is we, too, will shoot in in an unstraight treachery. We will not be true. The way to stay true is to be able to unstring that bow. It's huge. It's a big deal. How do we do that in healthy ways? That's the key, right? That's what we're talking about. I mean, when we look at this, we go, wow, well, this, is, this is what you're getting at, Lord. You're trying to get us to think about how we can do this. Because we live, again, I mentioned this, if we stay tight too long, we'll snap. Some of us, because we're not made to be continually in tension. No, even the strongest of us will break. Now, that break will show up in different ways. Some of us, it'll just be so obvious, we can't even hide it from anybody. We just melt down. If you've ever had a feeling of being, having a nervous breakdown or feeling emotionally stretched to a place where you don't know if you're going to be able to make it, then that's a difficult place. Some of us, it shows up, and our body starts telling the truth on us. We can't, can't There's no way to ignore it. We're getting torn up on the inside on something. We're being stretched in too many directions. Maybe some of us are living a lie, and you can only do that for so long. We can only be one person to someone and a different person somewhere else for so long without it taking a toll. Especially if we're trying to be something that we know the people we love need us to be, but then we are being something completely different in what God wants us to be. Over time, you know what that creates? Internal dissonance. You know what that does to us? It tears us apart from the inside out, can't do it. We might be under so much heat that we're feeling like, Lord, how do I, how do I negotiate this problem I've got myself into? Because when we're tired, what happens? We can get ourselves in addicted places. We're ashamed of things. We can't tell anybody. We don't like how we're behaving because we realize we feel so defeated. So I could I go, I could just sit there and just talk about it. God cares about that. He's not interested in rubbing our hands. is not going, oh, you're awful. I do that on my own. He wants us to be free. You see that? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We're going to have to have times of incorporating that. We got to make sure that we have that. Now, then, it leads to this final piece here, which is this: that God really does want us to have a, refocus ourselves in such a way that we have a perspective that is more like a compass than a crutch. Because when I think about a crutch, I think of something that you know people think, oh, well, you know, it's sort of like um, I don't want to say weak, but a lot of times it's like a coping mechanism. God doesn't want us to have Sabbath. Principles working in our lives as a coping mechanism. He really wants it to be a compass for us, a guide, so that we can learn how to negotiate the complexities of life. You know, one of the things that the Lord taught us was that we need to, in this principle, we need to have a weekly big rock, just like what we're doing right now. I mean, that honestly is huge a big rock. This is part of my life. This is a big rock part of my life. Sabbath is a big part of my life. God honors this principle. When I come to his house, when I make time for him on this day, what happens is my heart is opened up. I can receive soul nutrients. I'm here with others. I'm in community. I'm doing what Jesus modeled. I'm doing what God modeled at the very beginning. I'm coming together, and I'm letting his word, right, get into me. I'm being open to prayer, and I'm reflecting, and I'm thinking long thoughts, and I'm gauging my heart and life before God in genuine ways. I've excluded, hopefully, most voices because we're always hearing sounds all the time, telling us this, telling us that. But in the Lord's house, we get to have that time. It, it's almost like we're, we're giving ourselves a Sabbath big rock. We're sabotaging, right? I want to sabotage. I don't, that's not a word, but I, I think it's a good word. It could be a word. It should be a word. Sabotage, is that a word? It's not a word, but it, it, it makes sense, right? I'm making room for it. And then you know what? And then, So here's the thing. Jesus says, I want you to have a dailiness." to your relationship with me. Think about what he said. Give us this day. Pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? So that's the little rocks to me every day. We talked about it. Maybe just that, even if it's like 15 minutes, honestly, that we're saying this day, Lord, is your day. I'm spending some time in your word. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get myself, reminding myself of what's important. This day, my daily bread, I welcome you into my life. But then to have that also, that big rock as well. That we sort of build into the rhythm so that we're creating space for grace that will sustain us when part of us wants to quit or feels intimidated or when we're in the middle of that dark valley with the shadow of death upon us or when we're in the dark night of the soul and we feel like we've got, how do we sustain? You sustain by having these rhythms that hold us for the long haul. That's what we're talking about. It's something that, I'm telling you, if we do it, we will prevail. It's not an elixir of problem-free life. But it is saying you can negotiate things and survive without blowing up, burning out, making a mess. We can sustain and flourish in a very challenging time. But we've got to honor the Lord's principles. We get to. He invites us into it. All right. We're going to have our time of giving and prayer. But I'm going to go ahead after I pray. But we have our song, but I'm going to pray right now. Lord, I thank you because your words, they're life-giving for us. They're, they have value. They have meaning. they There's so much wisdom. You want to guide us in your ways. And you want to keep us from being either self-destructive or, or sometimes, Lord, just torn apart by the different things that we have to face on a regular basis. Some of us, again, just stretched in, in just stunning ways, you know, that just even being here in your house was a big deal. Um, listening to this message maybe is a big deal, and I want to thank you for that. I want to ask that you would be gracious and merciful to us, Lord. Help us to live in your wisdom. One of the ways we do that is by learning how to walk in your rhythm and to follow your example. They matter, it matters. I ask that our soul would be enriched. I pray that we would be able to receive and assimilate the nutrients. And allow that to happen so that even though our outer person, no matter what, I know you want that to be healthy too, but I think a lot of times we forget that the most important thing is what's going on on the inside in our spirit. Because that's what's really going to ultimately last. The the two work in tandem, but I know the thing that often we neglect is what's going on on the inside. And so I ask that you would just help us to, to be a people who breathe in and breathe out, welcome you into our lives and pause to make that a priority. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.